Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 22nd day of January 2024. Man, this thing is going by fast. 22 days into the new year already. And this is episode 800 and what? Was it 45? Let me check it out here. Let me just make sure. No, 844 of Bitcoin and there is blood in the streets. Yes, we're going to get into uh, what's going on here with that. With this fantastically large red spike to the downside on the Bitcoin price. And it has everything to do with grayscale. It really does. A grayscale has been something of an albatross around everybody's neck for years and years and years. And it looks like the chickens are coming home to roost. Um, I kind of don't want anybody to, to be freaking out about this because this thing was going to have to happen but there's some questions that I have. So we're going to get into a lot of, yeah, I know we're going to get into ETF stuff because honestly, outside of uh, OPSI TV, there's really not a whole lot of stuff going on in Bitcoin news wise, but we do have some announcements that are pretty cool at the back end of the show. So we'll get into that as well. But first, Grayscale. Grayscale is sending Bitcoin to Coinbase in $500 million clips. Matt DeSalvo is going to tell us what he thinks is going on here. He's writing this one for Decrypt. Is Grayscale dumping billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin? Well, blame it on the ETFs. Bitcoin has taken a hard hit this week, falling by over 14%, despite the historic approval of spot crypto exchange-traded funds just over seven days ago. Hasn't been that long, ladies and gentlemen. And it appears that Grayscale, the digital asset manager owned by crypto behemoth Digital Currency Group, may have a lot to do with that. Investors in Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust recently converted to a Bitcoin ETF following the SEC approval. And it has been exiting, or they have been exiting their positions in droves. And it has analysts shocked at the size of the sell-off. Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF started trading last week along with 10 other similar products. Prior, the trust had been a closed-end fund where investors could not redeem their shares for BTC. But, but, now that it's an ETF, investors are cashing out big time. Over half a billion dollars was cashed out in the first few days. In the last five days, more than $2.2 billion has left the fund, according to Bloomberg data. All the other ETFs are seeing inflows, however. BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin Trust iBit is the current winner with $1.2 billion worth of inflows into the fund. Senior ETF analyst at Bloomberg told Decrypt, it was kind of shocking 
to see GBTC experience such big outflows. I don't think it's shocking at all, honestly. But the reason for the outflow, simply put, is down to traders exiting their positions to take gains after having previously been locked in to the fund. GBTC also has the highest fee of any of the United States spot Bitcoin ETFs at a full 1.5%. While BlackRock's IBIT stands at 0.12%, it will raise it to 0.25% in 12 months, however. There's another reason industry observers say that investors would want to cash out. Investors fleeing GBTC is, in turn, leading Grayscale to shift large amounts of BTC to its custodian, Coinbase, to sell causing the price of Bitcoin to dip. On-chain data from Arkham Intelligence shows that Grayscale has sent roughly $500 million in Bitcoin to Coinbase in just the last six hours alone. European asset manager CoinShares head of research James Butterfill said the outflows likely explain BTC's price dip. Quote, Further price weakness depends on when GBTC hodlers stop selling. He told Decrypt over text message, while also acknowledging that GBTC's fees are relatively much higher than their competition. Despite the outflows, Grayscale told Decrypt that the fund was a success due to the sheer trading volume of which they get a cut. Quote, GBTC has been dominating trading value. It is the leading risk transfer vehicle and it has had the best performance of all spot Bitcoin ETFs since its launch. John Hoffman, Grayscale's Managing Director of Sales and Distribution, said. <laughs> okay, if that's the way you want to, you know, uh, uh, measure success, then yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, fine. Whatever. Because they are making, I mean, Coinbase is, or not Coinbase, well, Coinbase is making money off this gig too, but Grayscale is making money off of every all of these trades. So there's there's a couple of things that are going on. One is that during the year of 2023, last year, there was a significant amount of GBTC shares bought when it was still a closed-end fund that would not allow the redemption of those shares. Now, the theory behind that is that everybody was pretty much going to figure out that it was going to be very, very soon that the spot ETFs would be approved and that GBTC would be one of them. Right. So those guys were taking advantage of a relative discount that GBTC has been having for the last, I don't know, five years. And then now they're, those guys are cashing out. So they're taking, they're basically profit taking. But there's another side. And that comes down to this whole issue with the 1.5% uh, management fee that Grayscale has. Not only is it the highest management fee of all of the 11 ETFs that were approved, it is a lot higher. I mean, orders of magnitude higher. So one has to ask themselves, why is Grayscale not dropping their fees? They Surely, uh, Sun and Shine, the CEO, he knows that this is going to drive... Uh, customers to their competitor. And since now Grayscale has to allow redemption of those shares, he knows that they have a vehicle to go do it. They have the vehicle to go to the competitors and take advantage of 
0.12% management fee, 0.2% management fee, 0.25% management fees. That's where all these guys are. They're well, well, well below 1.5%. And when you're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars, that makes a difference. So the other end of this side, not just the people taking sheer profit, it's these guys that are saying, I'm, 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 I'm out. I'm going to go to IBIT or I'm going to go to you know, one of the other 10 funds that are, are now available. And we've seen Europe being depleted of uh, Bitcoin shares and their spot ETFs and their futures ETFs. Canada's being drained. I don't know anything about Brazil. I've yet to hear anything about the what's going on with the Brazilian ETF funds down there. But it is clear that this is a double whammy. And this more than adequately explains why you're looking at this tremendous red dip. And that's also why I don't care. I, I just don't care. Now, there is always the question in my mind as to why Sun and Shine and the people over at GBTC to this day refuse to lower their management fees because I don't think they actually have to subscribe or put in a rule change with the SEC to do that, although I am not sure. So don't take me on my word for that one. But they're not even they're not even breathing like they could possibly be thinking about lowering their management fees in order to squelch this tremendous outflow from Grayscale to all of the other funds, which are basically taking the BTC directly from Grayscale through the through the customers changing who they want to do business with. So why won't they actually say, you know what, we're done. We're going to go down to 0.5. We're, we're going to take a, we're going to take 1% off this thing and they're not doing it. And here's my suspicion that behind the scenes, and I don't know what I'm about to say. I have no proof of it is simply a gut feeling. When you see somebody staunchly defend a position that is not doing anything but losing them customers, there's a reason. And I think that the reason is, is that behind closed doors, two things were told to GBTC. One, you got to lose Barry. Barry cannot be the CEO. There's, there's just too much baggage coming along with Barry. Not going to happen that's that's out, so you got to get rid of them. And two, you've got to keep your management fees pegged at 1.5% because you have too much BTC. And we need, if you guys want this shit to happen, we need the availability of that liquidity from your fund to flow and start feeding these other funds so that it's not so lopsided. That's the only thing that I can think of is that it was a behind-closed-doors meeting where they were told they were not going to be able to lower their fees. Or if they were going to be able to lower their fees, it was going to be at a date much later than a couple of days after the launch of the spot Bitcoin ETFs. You see what I'm saying? So that way it equalizes the amount of BTC that, I mean, because they had like, what, 635,000 BTC? You know, I, 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 like IBIT, I think has like, they're sitting on 66,000. That's like an order of magnitude difference in the amount of BTC. So that's what I think is going on. I, I really think they were told, hey, we're going to have to equalize this shit 
before you can lower your fees. And Grayscale is just going to have to sit there and just just eat the shit sandwich. You know, I mean, that's that's the only reasoning I can think of as to why Sun and Shine isn't all over Twitter basically saying, oh, we've made a huge, terrible mistake. We're very, very sorry. Please allow us. Give us an indulgence and we're going to just lower this thing to 0.45% management fee where they would at least be competitive on the field of what's going on. But that ain't happening and that makes no sense. So therefore, the only thing that does make sense is they were told they were going to have to do this. Now, there's a third issue that is connected directly to this grayscale thing. And that is the FTX situation because at a coin desk written by Ian Allison, we have this one FTX sold $1 billion of grayscales, Bitcoin ETF, which explains like half of the outflows. According to sources, investors have sold more than $2 billion in total worth of the grayscale Bitcoin trust since it was converted to an exchange-traded fund. The large chunk of that exodus was FTX's bankruptcy estate dumping 22 million shares according to private data Coindesk reviewed and two people familiar with the matter. A slew of spot Bitcoin ETFs began trading on January the 1st, after the SEC finally approved them following years of delay. But the Grayscale Fund had already existed for a full decade, and had accumulated close to $30 billion, with a B, dollars worth of assets when the SEC approved its conversion to an ETF, along with blessing 10 newly created Bitcoin ETFs. While the new funds issued by the likes of BlackRock and Fidelity have seen inflows, billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin have been pulled out of GBTC. The data Coindesk saw suggests FTX accounted for much of that. The 22 million shares it sold which took FTX's GBTC ownership down to zero. (laughs) And that was worth close to $1 billion in United States dollars. Bitcoin's prices tumbled since the ETFs were approved, a stark juxtaposition against the high hopes people had before the SEC announced its decision. But Bitcoin ETFs have been touted as a much easier way for normal people to invest in Bitcoin, triggering widely optimistic forecast for the price. But instead... Ah, Bitcoin has fallen. In theory, now that FTX is done selling its rather substantial holdings, the selling pressure could ease since a bankruptcy estate liquidating holdings is a relatively unique event. Like many large crypto trading entities, FTX capitalized on the disparity between the price of Grayscale Trust shares and the net asset value of the underlying Bitcoin in the fund. FTX held 22.3 million GBTC valued at $597 million as of of October the 25th of last year, according to a filing. The value of FTX's GBTC holdings rose to around $900 million based on the first day of Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF trading on NYSE ARCA on January the 11th when it closed the trading session at $40.69 a share. FTX held shares in five grayscale trusts in a brokerage account at ED&F Mann Capital Markets, which is now known as Merrick's Capital Markets, according to filings. Merrick's declined to comment. Galaxy Digital, a crypto trading specialist assisting in the sales of assets held by the FTX bankruptcy estate, also declined to comment. 
On Monday, Alameda Research, a trading firm tied to FTX, voluntarily dismissed a lawsuit alleging Grayscale charged excessive fees. <laughs> all right, so we've got a little bit more on that that Alameda Research thing that, that connects to all this here in a little bit. But first, let's talk about this one. $900 million was in, basically instantly liquidated by the FTX guys. All right, so that's the third area of pressure that we have going on. Now, they're saying that they hold no more GBTC. Uh, I, it's not that I don't believe that. Like, I, I don't believe that in like the sense that somebody's being nefarious. I just, I kind of don't believe that in the sense that, uh, the reporters may have missed something that G or that FTX still may have something that we don't know about yet. And the bankruptcy guys, they're busy with the bankruptcy. They're not like on the phone to every media outlet in the world telling them exactly the disposition of what the hell's going on. The only people that they're actually, you know, beholden to for that information are the courts and the actual investors themselves, but that information is done via the courts. So they're not going to call Bloomberg and say, oh, by the way, we have another, you know, $500 million worth of GBTC shares that we just found. If they just found it, we're probably the last to know. So just understand, shit could happen all over again. So don't don't freak out. This is just, this is the market being the market under a completely different set of weather patterns, if you know what I'm talking about. But again, I'm not freaking out because this has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin itself. This has everything to do with humanity's perception of Bitcoin as a value asset under this new regime of all this liquidity that's flowing around to all these new funds. You got the FTX bankruptcy happening. You got the people that wanted to take their profits. You've got everybody wanting to get rid of 1.5% management fees and who wouldn't. So we're in for some serious chop. And remember, boating on lakes when the water has chop is a good way to lose your hardware wallet. Okay, now trading volume on the ProShares Bitcoin ETF. This is ProShares, right? And if I'm reading this right, this is the old ProShares Futures Bitcoin ETF. The trading volume on that has tanked by 75% as the focus now shifts to spot Bitcoin ETFs. This is written by Amkar Godbol out of Coindesk. Activity in ProShares Bitcoin Strategy Exchange Traded Fund, the world's leading Bitcoin futures-based exchange traded fund, has cooled significantly since the launch of ETFs directly investing in the cryptocurrency began trading on January the 11th. On Thursday, the shares were worth just over $500 million, or, or shares worth just over $500 million, changed hands on the NYSE which is a 75% slide from its record $2 billion registered on January the 11th, according to data tracked by crypto exchange Coinbase. BITO, that's the ticker symbol of this, has witnessed a net outflow of over $270 million over the same period. Meanwhile, 11 spot ETFs registered a cumulative trading volume of $14 billion, that's billion with a B, in its very first week. A tally bigger than all other ETFs launched in 2023 as per Coinbase. 
These funds have amassed over $1.2 billion in investor money in one week since inception. These ETFs invest in Bitcoin, allowing investors to gain exposure to the cryptocurrency. Yes, we know. We get it. We don't need that part. That said, the cash creation structure of spot ETFs will likely ensure futures-based ETFs stay relevant, according to some observers. ETFs are created and redeemed in two ways, in-kind and cash creation. In the former, in-kind, when the ETF issuer wants to create new shares, the authorized participant, the AP, buys the underlying securities comprising the ETF and delivers the same to the issuer in return for a block of ETF shares, which can then be sold in the open market. The process works in reverse when the ETF wants to redeem the shares. The process remains the same in the cash creation structure, except that the APs provide cash to the issuer and then the issuer purchases the actual asset. That exposes APs, institutions and market-making firms, to the risk of Bitcoin price fluctuations between when they receive by orders and when issuers purchase the asset to create the new shares. As such, APs are likely to hedge the same with regulated products like BITO and CME futures, according to some observers. Quote, It is not unusual for an AP to revert to regulated products such as BITO to hedge their positions, called deltas, as they may not have accounts with CME futures to do so. This is generally considered a good proxy if they can't execute CME Bitcoin futures or even outright Bitcoin, Laurent Cassis, a crypto trading advisor at CEC Capital and a former ETF market maker, told Coindesk, quote, the risk of being exposed or unhedged is very high. So BITO will provide decent cover, although it's not a perfect hedge as there is slippage and a decent cost to buy BITO, she added. But many APs will not have a choice since they can't buy Bitcoin or are not allowed to touch them by their compliance department or even won't have the infrastructure like the custodian or back office systems to reconcile those positions. David Durong, head of institutional research at Coinbase, said in a weekly newsletter that despite the recent decline in BITO's volume, it will remain an integral part of the Bitcoin ETF space. Quote, we believe some APs, namely the broker dealers, will continue to rely on regulated means of hedging themselves, such as long CME futures or long BITO, when creating shares. <clears throat> Duong said, adding some APs likely bought Bitcoin ahead of the spot ETF launch and sold BITO to hedge potential client buys and sells intraday. All right, so there is a fourth impact, okay? We were talking about you know, the grayscale stuff and the, FT, the FTX was the third impact. The sell-off in futures is also impacting the markets insofar as flashing signals. But there's something here that I missed about the spot Bitcoin ETFs and GB or the GBTC outflows. Those outflows are not Bitcoin leaving the exchange as Bitcoin to be put in another exchange. If that was the case, I don't think that we would be seeing quite this level of red in the markets. What's happening is that all of these ETFs 
the only way they were going to get passed, and this is some of the very last structural changes that were made to all the ETFs at the SEC when they were trying to get this deal done, and all of them, like all 11 of these guys, basically said the same thing. They agreed with the SEC because the SEC wanted the following. You cannot redeem the actual Bitcoin. You have to sell the Bitcoin and then redeem the cash to the investor. And then that investor is, will take that cash and is then free to go to another spot Bitcoin ETF and buy Bitcoin with that cash. So all of this is flashing to the markets that spot Bitcoin ETFs are being, or, or the, at least the grayscale Bitcoin ETF is being sold. It's a sell signal. But then the futures are being sold as well because it's being used as a hedge. <clears throat> we, there is very, very few times in the history of the markets of Bitcoin that there, you have seen this much chop. And we've never really seen this much chop directly before a halving event. <clears throat> but be that as it may, all of these signals are aligning to say one thing. People are selling Bitcoin. Therefore, the price decreases. So who's on the buying end of this? Michael Saylor. <laughs> He's probably sitting there with a shit-eating grin on his face going, oh yeah, buddy, let's go, let's go. And he probably knew it was going to happen, except he was never going to tell anybody that this is exactly what was going to happen. Pure speculation on everybody's part who thought that this would happen, but they happened to be right. There was speculation that this wouldn't happen. Those guys are wrong. But all of the markets are basically flashing red simply because all of the markets are telling all of the other markets the exact same thing. People are selling Bitcoin. They're not really looking at the fact that they're buying it on the other end, which always and will forever confuse me, but I think it has something to do with the following. Who is first to say something? is generally the person that is listened to the most. And these markets are saying first to sell. And then the second person is the same market saying we're buying it back. But because it's selling first, that's what the markets are basically listening to. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. But, you know, it is what it is. Now, do you remember... When all this shit started, remember, do you remember what started it? Oh, hey, Kid Warp, thank you for the 2100 Satoshis. I really appreciate it, as always, and it's good to see you here. Sorry that I ninja launched this on everybody, but yeah, I had to go do something this morning, and it's just if I want to get this thing done, I needed to just get this thing done. That said, going back to do you remember what started all of this crap? Terra Luna. Terra Luna was the first flash in the pan. It was the Terraform Labs Luna token losing its peg. And that started the massive tumble. That's the one that like it started the three arrows capital burn. It started, it started all what was a block five burn. Then FTX enters into the whole thing. And we find out those little bastards are insolvent too. And it just bam dominoes. Why am I telling you that? Well, Terraform Labs has officially declared bankruptcy in the state of Delaware, Sam Reynolds' coin desk. 
Terraform Labs has filed a voluntary petition in Delaware for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, according to documents. <laughs> that was filed yesterday. Uh, the embattled cryptocurrency firm behind the failed stablecoin TerraUSD declared in the filing that it has between $100 and $500 million in estimated assets and the same amount in liabilities. Terra USD, a dollar peg cryptocurrency, and Terra Luna's token collapsed in May of 2022, destroying billions of dollars of investor wealth. Quote, the filing will allow Terraform Labs to execute on its business plan while navigating ongoing legal proceedings, including representative lit- litigation pending in Singapore and United States litigation separately, Terraform's Labs or Terraform Labs said in a statement. Amongst the list of unsecured creditors are TQ Ventures, a United States-based digital asset investment fund, and Standard Crypto, a San Francisco-based venture fund. Terraform Labs and its founder, Du Quan, currently face the prospect of a class action lawsuit in Singapore, as well as a trial in the United States from the Securities and Exchange Commission regarding the collapse of TerraUSD. Separately, in late December, Du Quan and Terraform Labs lost a case regarding the status of Luna and MIR, or MIR, when a U.S. judge ruled that they are indeed securities. So that chicken is going to be basically killed and put into a stew pot fairly, fairly quickly. Uh, This is, honestly, this is good news. Because it's like one, it's almost the end. It's, It's coming full circle. We're almost to the end of the storm. The the terraform shit was the leading edge of the hurricane. The the real damage came with FTX, and then there was this silence, the eye of the storm, and then we had the bank collapses on the other side, which signaled that we were in for the other half of the hurricane. We're still in that other half. This this grayscale business and terraform labs and all that kind of stuff, but I see. I get a, a here's a, another gut feeling for you. We're coming to the end of this particular cycle. Well, and I'm not talking about the having cycle, which is also coinciding with all this, but this, this collapse cycle and all these bankruptcies, we're almost to the end of it. All we got to do is hang on just a little bit longer. And I know that's a, that's a big, that's a big, 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 big ask. Uh, oh yeah. As I said, Alameda Research has dropped its grayscale lawsuit. And the reason is because redemptions are now live. They're they're just like, okay, well, we can get our stuff. There, there's just no need for them to carry that on. So that's not exactly, you know, bad news or good news. It's just from from the standpoint of Alameda Research dropping the lawsuit, it's going to be cheaper for them to do that now that Grayscale is in the position to be able to redeem shares uh, on request instead of a closed-end fund, which meant you couldn't get out um, unless you were locked in for, I think the lock-in time was six months or something like that, and all the time having to pay 1.5%. Now that you have the option to get the hell out, there's no reason for the lawsuit. So that's one of the reasons why Alameda has just totally dropped that lawsuit. All right, let's run the numbers. C 
CNBC futures and commodities. Oil is up because people are now scared. The markets are now terrified that Russia really will not sell as much oil on the open market. These guys have literally flip-flop from week to week because now West Texas Intermediate is back up by over two full points to $75 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise up 1.7% to just under 80 a barrel. Natural gas, however, is down almost four points. Gasoline is up three and a half points to $2.23 a gallon. Gold is down a third. Silver is down two and a third. Platinum is down two thirds. Copper is down almost a full point. Palladium is down just over a point. Uh, looks like agriculture is mostly in the green today. Biggest winner is going to be coffee, which four, wow, four points to the upside. Live cattle is trading down a quarter. Lean hogs is up a quarter and feeder cattle is down a third. The Dow is having a good day. Uh, it's up a third. S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is up 0.12% and the S&P mini is up 0.8%. All of the yields of most of the bonds United States Treasury bonds have dropped today. The 10-year is now yielding 4.1%, the 20-year 4.44%, and the 30-year 4.32%. The dollar index has risen again to 103.34 on the ICE US dollar index. Uh, Bitcoin is at $39,708. So yes, that candle is is pretty Pretty substantial, ladies and gentlemen. Um, average transaction value is a third of a Bitcoin. Uh, media transaction values are just under $50. Block times are low, nine minutes and 17 seconds. Looks like we got 0.5 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 78 and a quarter taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With an 8.9% increase in hash rate, we are up to 519.6 exahashes per second. Doge is at 8.1 United States pennies, and the reason it is up against Bitcoin by so very much is because people are speculating that Elon is going to use Doge as the internal payments situation for Twitter. I don't buy that. I don't think that's going to happen because the Doge network is a is it, it's just it. I wouldn't know. I'm just saying, no, there's not enough nodes. There's not enough development on it. It's basically kind of like a dead chain. It just keeps running and running and running, but nobody in their right mind would actually put that, you know, use that as a fundamental payments rail inside of something like Twitter because I ain't ever going to call it X, but that's why that shit is up today. Market capitalization is at, wow, we have dropped $786.1 billion dollars. That is now only 5.7% of gold's market cap. There are 19,605,305.5 BTC in circulation at this time, and 4,894.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $196 million, 14,638 nodes that we know about, and 59,272 payment channels that we understand, or rather that we can see. 79.3% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempools, uh, not too bad. Still at 550 uh, blocks, carrying 270,000 unconfirmed transactions. But high priority fees are 44 Satoshis per V-byte. So that's about two and a half bucks. Still high. It's certainly not one Satoshi per V-byte. But, you know, 
if you're thinking about consolidating, now might actually be a good time to do that. Low priority is $1.96 or 35 satoshis per V-byte. Anything under 23 and a half are being purged from mempools around the world. And the hash rate, according to mempool.space, is 577.3 exahashes per second. So do with that what you will. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, the episode number 843 of Bitcoin and garnered some appreciation from natural gas immersion with a row of sticks, a long one, one or 11,111 says, appreciate you, brother. Yeah, not as much as I appreciate you. God's death with 1370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Ingo with 1234 says, always enjoy your rip, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Axelrod with 451. Is this thing on? Axelrod with another 451 says, thank you, sir. May I have another? Yes, you may. Pies with 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death with uh, 137 sats basically gives me a cashew invoice and I'm not going to read all the letters and numbers. And thank God he comes back and says, with another 137 sats, you don't have to read. I'm just playing around. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use uh, announcement. I may, it looks like I'm, I'm planning to go on to uh, thank God for Bitcoin podcast with my friend Hoddlebod. Um I don't know exactly when he's planning on putting that up, but I think we're going to meet this week to uh, get that done. I have literally no idea what we're going to talk about. It should be fun though. Hoddlebod's a great guy. <clears throat> and th- this would actually be my first sit down face to face interview and i'm really craving that i i hate zoom i i just i don't like being remote i just don't i love being around other people so this will be the first time that that happens i'm hoping that it goes really really well so be on the lookout for that i'll announce it once he drops it now speaking of thank god for bitcoin we have a church a church Yes, like a church. You go to church, right? Well, this one allegedly issued crypto token backed by nothing but God's word. Sander Lutz gives us some lulls out of decrypt. Joy to the world. A Colorado pastor and his wife are in hot water this week after allegedly making away with millions of dollars raised through a crypto token that they marketed to devout Christians and claimed was made because of God's instructions. The Denver area couple, Pastor Eligio Eli Rigaldo and his wife, Caitlin, reportedly raised some $3.2 million through the sales of INDX coin, a crypto token that they issued through an online church called Victorious Grace. Earlier this week, Colorado Securities Commissioner sued the couple claiming they fraudulently deceived investors and illegally sold securities without proper registration. On Thursday, a Colorado judge froze the asset of Victorious Grace Church based on those allegations. According to legal firms or filings made by the state, the Rogaldos claimed that index coin was pegged to an index of cryptocurrencies and backed by enough assets to secure that peg. In reality, in reality, the Colorado Securities Commission alleges that the coin was backed by almost nothing save the word of God. 
Quote, Defendant Eli leveraged the potential investor's faith, the complaint said. He stated that their investment success was guaranteed by the Almighty. End quote. <laughs> From the start, the Regaldos insisted that Index coin was not a security offering, but instead a utility coin and therefore exempt from securities regulations. According to legal filings, when several experts rebuffed that claim and told the Regaldos that index coin was, in fact, a security offering, the couple attempted to invoke a power higher than that of the Howey test. Quote, we wasted a lot of time trying to work with the world's experts, Eli Regaldo posted on a community forum for index coin holders last May. According to the filing, quote, they said what Eli and Caitlin are doing is a security, but God says, no, it's a utility coin. Index coin was only able to be exchanged for USD through Kingdom Wealth Exchange, a platform that the Regaldos also controlled, and Colorado regulators say, routinely shut down to avoid a bank run. <laughs> when some investors began growing wary of index coins, lack of returns and considered fully cashing out, Eli Rigaldo reportedly told him that God was telling him that everyone should hodl. <laughs> the, defendant, the defendant further told investors that God was telling him to tell investors to stay where you're at, stay in index coins, stay with where I'm telling you to go. I'm going to make a way. The complaint reads, the Regaldos eventually shut down the Kingdom Wealth Exchange last year after claiming that there was not enough active stakers to keep it running. The couple then relayed to index coin holders that God had told them that everyone should stay invested in the coin and not ask questions. In the course of raising over $3 million, the Regaldos allegedly pocketed $1.3, which they spent on luxury handbags, cosmetic dentistry, Snowmobile adventures, an owl pair, home renovations, luxury vacations, and other items. Decrypt reached out to the Regaldos, but you know, they didn't say shit, really. Quote, the charges are that Caitlin and I pocketed $1.3 million, and I just wanted to come out and say that those charges are true. But out of the $1.3 million, half a million went to the IRS, and a few hundred thousand dollars went to a home remodel that the Lord told us to do, end quote. Rigaldo also clarified that when God approached him about creating index coin, Rigaldo initially had concerns about the token's liquidity, to which God replied, according to the pastor, trust me, Jesus. the couple will face a, a hearing on January the 29th regarding the Colorado Securities Commissioner's request for a preliminary injunction at the hearing, state officials will likely expand on arguments as to how they violated state securities laws, whether prosecutors will be able to prove that God did not speak to the Regaldas about utility coins is another matter entirely. So <clears throat> you you thought you thought there was nothing new under the sun when it came to people cheating each other out of their money. Well, here you have a church pastor, you know, basically just telling you know telling a bunch of Christians to invest in this utility token, you know, with, without actually saying anything about what utility it had. Um, there is basically a special place in hell for people like this. I mean, it's it's bad enough to scam somebody out of their money because of a confidence scheme, but when you invoke God. I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to do that. 
Even if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't be doing that shit because what if I'm wrong? No, that is just bad. It's just bad all the way around. But I expect more of this. I, I fully expect more of this to happen. I fully, I really do. I fully expect this shit to, to just continue on and continue on. And at one point or another, it's going to get all the way down to where a Buddhist monk and Buddhism is not even a religion. It's actually a philosophy, not a religion, but even a Buddhist monk is going to somehow or another wipe out what little wealth a whole bunch of other Buddhists have because of Buddha coin. I guarantee that shit's going to happen. But happier news, Bondo, the African village that's mining Bitcoin, nobsbitcoin.com. Bondo is a scattered cluster of villages in a remote region of Malawi near the border with Mozambique. Unlike most places, this impoverished country, when night descends, they can now switch on the lights, stoves, and televisions in their homes. The big surprise in Bondo is not simply the energy to such an isolated community in a country where only one in eight citizens has access to grid electricity and on a continent where almost half of the 1.2 billion population still lacks this life-changing supply. The real eye-opener is the stack of 32 computers inside of the concrete pump shed. This little mini-grid is mining Bitcoin to fund the operation. And then they go on and there's a brief explanation of how mining works. But again, this, this reinforces what I'm saying about keep your eyes on Africa because it's, it's not the population centers that I'm looking at. When I say look at Latin America and look at the continent of Africa, I'm not concerned about Mexico City and you know the larger population centers that you'll find in the 50 70 some odd countries on the continent of Africa those you know like like well, I can't even think of a name of one uh Johannesburg but that's South Africa that's not exactly that's a little bit more on the westernized end of it but it's these little villages it's these little towns in El Salvador even though it's a whole country it's still there's not that uh, there's not all, that many people I mean, this this type of thing you're going to see more of and more of and more of, and it's great, honestly, but that's where the real power is going to be. It's going to be all these little villages getting a taste of something like freaking electricity that nobody wanted to give them before because there was no money in giving it to them. I mean, sure, there's some charities out there, but they basically are more concerned with going out and drilling water wells, which is also needed. This, this is completely different. This is going to expand to the point that you've got a lot more villages that have never had electricity in their entire history. All of a sudden having a single light bulb somewhere in the town and it's going to be magical for them. And the only reason that is going to happen is because Bitcoin miners are going to come in and they're going to look for places where they can get cheap electricity and they're going to build out this infrastructure and the people that are close to it are going to benefit. And like I said, they're going to look at it like it's magic. And once they see it, they're never going to want to unsee it. And that puts the power of that puts the power firmly in the hands of these people. So again, 
if you haven't heard me say it a million times on this show, I don't care about the West and its adoption of Bitcoin. It's Latin America and the continent of Africa and you know some Eastern European countries and stuff like that. But essentially, it's Africa and Latin America. Those are the two most important places on the face of the planet right now. And they're going to be that way for a while. So just if you're thinking possibly about looking for other, you know, if you, if you want to stay in the fiat investment game, I really would be looking a lot more at Latin America than yet one more United States or European based hedge fund, because honestly, screw them. Okay. Albie has a blog post and they just announced it today. Introducing answer a N S E R a web wallet for liquid. As a follow-up to the Albi Liquid integration, I want to present you Answer, my submission for the Albi Blockstream Bounty, a self-custodial wallet for the Liquid network, but compatible with the Albi browser extension. Meet Answer, which is Latin for goose. I don't know why they picked goose, but your new tool to effortlessly view, manage, and transact any asset linked to your liquid address via the Albi extension directly from your browser in a secure and sovereign manner. (laughs) Answer functions as a client-side wallet, safeguarding your privacy by never requiring direct access to your private key. Instead, it delegates the task of transacting signing to the Albi browser extension, ensuring that your private keys stays safely stored on your device. For more information, how Albi enables signing of Liquid and Bitcoin on-chain transactions, you can have a look at these docs. And of course, there is a, uh, a <clears throat> there's that's a link, honestly. So to get started, simply add a master key to your Albi extension. It is used to derive a key to sign your Liquid transactions. So don't forget to back it up, please, for the love of God. Back it up if you're going to play with this stuff with real money. Now, all you need to do is launch and connect to Answer. With Answer, you tap into the capabilities of another powerful Bitcoin layer too, seamlessly integrated into the convenience of a web-based wallet. And if you're a developer looking to incorporate Liquid into your web app, Answer is also available as a standalone library. But is it open source? Absolutely. It's freely available to explore and contribute on GitHub, which is another link. Interested? Check it out on the live instance here, a link, and also on IPFS, and a link. Or learn how to self-host your own instance, and that is a link to basically instructions set on how to do this. <coughs> Whether you like Liquid or think it's a shit chain, I, it, that's not really the point. It could be the point. I just, See, I'm up in the air about Liquid. I just am. I'm also up in the air about Tether. Right, And I certainly don't want to have anything to do with USDC, but I don't really need any of this stuff. But I like the guys over at Albi. They've made my life in being able to log in to different browser, uh, to well, to different clients on the Nostra protocol so much easier. And now that uh, other things are allowing key signing with your Nostra private keys that don't really have anything to do with Nostra at all, I can sign into that shit too. And it's amazing. It really is. No emails, no phone numbers, no prepaid credit card number or something like that. I just use my freaking Albi extension. 
So now I'm going to be able to use it with liquid if I choose to do that. Well, that's going to be a lot like MetaMask, isn't it? And that's the wallet extension for all of the um, Ethereum BS, which I don't care about at all, really. Um, But liquid is gaining traction. And it started gaining a lot more serious traction when? Right after the fee spike started happening because of the ordinals and inscriptions business, right? So now more people are looking at liquid and more people are taking it seriously. As to the be able to spin up any token that you want on liquid, I it, it, it it's going to be used as, as scam mechanics, not that I, I don't think Adam Back himself is actually going to be doing it, but if you give people the access to be able to spin up your own token on Liquid, you're going to have bad actors spinning up God token and selling it to a bunch of, you know, Christians or Buddhists or something like that, and they're going to get scammed. I, I, I guarantee it. But if for whatever reason, if you've got a good reason, being able to connect all this stuff, being basically being able to interact with Liquid directly from your Albi browser extension, if you're not watching Albi, you're you're missing out because what they've what they've done for the last two years that I've been aware of them is nothing short of astounding in its pace of progress. I love those guys over at Albi. I hope this goes well. I hope nobody gets scammed. We'll have to wait. As usual, we'll have to wait and see. Now, nut band. <clears throat> this is completely different. This is going to be talking about uh, eCash and Cashew and stuff like that. Nut band is an experiment with Cashew over the reticulum mesh network protocol. All right, so there's two things at work here. This, again, is from nobsbitcoin.com. It is an experimental, minimalistic, Python-only user interface for Cashew using Cashew Nutshell implementation. The goal of the project is to experiment with Cashew over reticulum mesh network protocol using LXMF. Introducing Nutband, a post-Fiat apocalypse Cashew client working over reticulum, announced Jiraj Bednar. I don't think I pronounced his name right, but whatever. Here's a demo of Reticulum, Cashew, and my project Nutband that combines them in order to use Cashew Mint over a Reticulum mesh network, in this case, over long-range radio without the internet. Should I, should I read that one again? Over radio. Cashew Mint over radio with no internet involved. Only sending and receiving tokens is enabled at this time. Mint selection or invoices do not work yet. Learn more about Reticulum Mesh Network here and check out the project's repository here. Those are both links. Okay, so why is this shit important? Well, it has happened back in the past, a long time ago, that it was, I want to say that Novak and Adam Curry... The Novak, the guy behind CoinKite, and Adam Curry, the guy behind Podcasting 2.0, did a Bitcoin transaction over ham radio. I don't know the particulars. I don't know how much was sent. I don't know, you know, I can't even remember. I know it was like more than a couple of years ago, 
but it was the first, and as far as I know, the only Bitcoin transaction to successfully be sent over radio waves. Not the internet, radio waves. Well, now we've got eCash, and eCash is allowing a bridge over to Lightning, and Lightning, of course, is a bridge to Bitcoin in general. But if we have mints that can be sent via radio, then all of a sudden there's a major stopgap. Because if you can send it over, this guy's doing it with reticulum. Okay, that's a mesh network. But radio is radio. Would it not be possible? Would it not be possible to be able to do this from one coast to another? Uh, like, let's say they're, you're California and another person's in New York City. Uh, like New York City and LA. All right, we'll just take those two guys. And some weird post-apocalyptic or, or apocalypse happens and the internet for the internal portion of the United States is just dead, dead, dead. Deader than a hammer. No miners are running. There's no, you're not looking at any of your wallets. Electrum is kaput. You're in Kansas. You're, you're getting freaking nothing. With this, if the guy in LA and the guy in New York if somehow or another they still do have access to the other parts of the world via internet, then the radio using Cashumint would be able to connect Lightning and Bitcoin together through this type of thing. It's, it's, it's not exactly clear in my mind how, but I just see it as being able to stitch LA to New York and like, and if you're living in Kansas and you can reach New York on a ham and you can send this to L, like, I don't know, let's say to L, to New York and New York still has access to the, you know, European Union and the rest of the world via optical cable and the internet still works there. Well, then you can essentially still perform lightning and Bitcoin transactions. It's more, it's going to functionally be way more involved than that, but that's about as simplistic as I can make it. But the fact that it can bind those two together in areas that are in blackout communications conditions is amazing. <clears throat> now this guy, uh, Jiraj Bedner has a 16 minute YouTube video uh, uh, with that, that basically gives a demonstration I don't normally like looking at those demonstrations because it's not always clear if it worked, even though it looks like it worked because an entire scam was run. Oh, I can't even remember the name of the, 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 of the company, but they went over to South Korea and basically were running a scam on these investors in South Korea and had a, you know, they were trying to pull off a, uh, a, a well, an example right? Live and in person. And of course it didn't work, but it didn't matter to the guys in, in South Korea. But there's a lot of these instances where it's like, look, see, it works. And we just take it for granted when it never actually worked the way that we thought it was going to work. And it's not that I don't trust this guy. I'm sure he's to totally above board, but you've got to go do the research for yourself. So it's reticulum protocol, cashew, and the project name is Nutband. All right, let's see. What else we got up here? Uh, we've got the fact that Jack Vol today, one year ago, says that nobody will give a shit about Noster in one year. I don't think Zach Vol was right. 
But Walker brought that to you, and basically he's got a note here that says it, it has officially been one year, and everyone here on Noster freely using this open protocol most definitely gives a shit about it. Cheers to everyone using Noster today, and many more who will soon realize its power. Yeah, Zach Vol was wrong. I can't believe people still make predictions like that. In one year X, just assume that you're wrong, because that's going to come and go, and people like Walker are going to pull your old tweet out of their ass, and they're going to make you look like a fool. Zach actually kind of deserves it for that one, though. All right. Um, <clears throat> here is the last thing that I'm going to do today. The Nostra report has this note. Quote, nobody uses the Lightning Network. It's a failure. End quote. Meanwhile, and here's a note from River. River.com. River's Lightning nodes have now routed twice the capacity of the entire Lightning Network. 10,100 Bitcoin versus 5,050 Bitcoin. We've routed 3.78 million transactions with an average transaction size of 268,000 Satoshis, which is about $109. That is 10 times the network average. And then they have a few more fun facts below. The point is, is that nobody uses Lightning. It's a failure is clearly bullshit. River has just basically given their yearly statistics and said that they <laughs> they basically routed the entirety of the Lightning Network times two. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. The local blacksmith passed away, so I adopted his dog. As soon as I got him home, he made a bolt for the door. Ah? Ah? Okay. Um, giant red candles are going to be commonplace for a while. And in fact, we actually just had a pretty good size green candle come back up that erased the last red candle. This is chop beyond anything any of us have really ever seen. And I don't think that it alleviates itself anytime soon. I figure a couple of months. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's like a, maybe today was the last day. And I would be, I would be, it would be wonderful if I was as wrong as wrong could ever be. I don't think I am though. I think we're looking at at least a month, a couple of more months to get all of this stuff going where it needs to go. Right, the, the, all this stuff just needs to be able to settle down. And it's, I just don't think it's going to settle down anytime soon. So what's the rule? You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin, you don't sell your Bitcoin, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.